Old Testament lesson for this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verses 1 through 7. So listen now for the word of God. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you up. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever had to walk into a room where you don't know anybody all by yourself? It's terrifying. I'm an extrovert who can talk to a brick wall, and it's terrifying. It doesn't matter whether it's the middle school lunchroom or wedding or a retirement party, there is a kind of universal dread of feeling alone in a room full of other people. What should I say? Who should I talk to? What do I do with my hands? Are there customs I should know about in this group of people? Am I going to make a fool out of myself? Maybe you're visiting Morningside for the first time this morning and you were brave enough to walk into this sanctuary, into this room for the first time, and you've experienced those same feelings and questions. If you did, welcome. You have walked into a room full of people who at some point or another were in your shoes. And I hope you are greeted as warmly as they were last week or many years ago. And I hope that you don't feel alone for long. When I'm feeling anxious, what I want more than anything is that reassurance that I'm not alone. We are made to be in relationship. Humans, by our very nature, are communal people. 
which is probably why feeling alone or on the outside or disconnected feels so scary. When faced with these kinds of social situations, our tendency is to find someone or to convince and conjole someone to go with us. Maybe you've asked someone to be a wingman or a wingwoman to a party or a plus one to a wedding. For all of our kids out there that are going to camp this summer, it is much easier to convince them to go away to camp if you promise them that, that one of their buddies is going to go with them. When you go to the doctor for a medical procedure, they often won't even let you show up alone. The sweet lady at the front desk who hands you a clipboard with 400 forms you've already filled out, she's going to ask you, and who's here with you and who's driving you home? Even for simple adventures like going on a hike, you look for a partner. The ranger signs at the beginning of every trail say, do not hike alone, or the most creative one I've seen this summer says, hike in groups. You don't have to be faster than, your, than the bear, you just have to be faster than your friend. We seek the comfort and the reassurance of a community or a friend when challenges come our way. And when we lack that sense of community, we feel lost. And the Israelites were in a season of feeling lost. Their situation was not just about a party or a summer camp. Israel was experiencing a different kind of displacement, exile from everything that they knew and loved. And they not only felt isolated from each other, they felt rejected and forgotten by God. The chapter that precedes the one we read this morning, this beautiful chapter, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 42 puts it rather bleakly. Old Testament scholar Dr. Portier Young summarizes it this way. God gave up Jacob. God poured out on the chosen people the heat of judgment, burning them with the fire of war. Forsaken, brutalized, and conquered, God's people became prisoners in foreign lands, where no one, not even God, would claim them. No one would speak for them and say, they're mine. Give them back to me. Free my people. Israel had been scattered from what they knew as home and lost their sense of community. And the prophet Isaiah had declared that their disobedience was in part to blame. So yeah, they felt alone. But into this bleak situation, this sense of isolation, suddenly God speaks something fresh through Isaiah. But now... Isaiah says, but now says the Lord, but now is this pivot moment to something new. And the God who felt far off, silent, even judgmental, suddenly speaks this totally fresh word to Israel. And what pours forth is no longer judgment, but a love letter to the people of God. For all those moments you've felt alone, God says, I never forgot you. I created you, O Jacob. I formed you, O Israel. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I, God, have called you by name, and you 
are mine. But of all the beautiful language in this love poem from God, the most powerful word, in my opinion, in this whole passage from Isaiah is a preposition. The word with. Do not fear, for I am with you, says God. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God doesn't love us from a distance or care about us at arm's length. God stretches down to love with both arms. The God we thought was far off is actually right alongside us. You, O Israel, you, my loved ones, you were never alone. Now, I will admit that in school I hated learning to diagram a sentence. I don't even know if they make you do that in school anymore, but Mrs. Clark, back in fifth grade, who ran a pretty tight ship, made us learn all of the parts of speech and the structure of sentences, starting with subject, verb, and object. And each week she would add in a part of speech. Conjunctions, prepositions. It starts simple, right? I eat. And the next week you get, I eat pizza. And the next week you get, I eat pizza with Susie. And somewhere, in this painstaking work of grammar that I absolutely loathed, you learn that prepositions, they're crucial because prepositions are connectors. They serve to link ideas and people and objects and places with each other. Without prepositions, you can run, but not in any particular direction. Without prepositions, you can act, but not with anybody. And so Isaiah's use of this preposition with sets the Israelites on a totally new path with a new or renewed connection. God could have said through the prophet Isaiah, do not fear for I am. And that would be true. We know God, Yahweh, whose name was given to Moses as the great I am. Maybe all that the people of God needed to know or to remember that, what, that was that God was and is and is to come. But God didn't say that. No, God declares, do not fear for I am with you. It isn't enough for us to know that God is. What matters is that God is with Israel. What matters is that God is with you and you and you and you and you. We often talk about the God of covenant, the God who makes and keeps promises, a God who doesn't need humanity but who chooses to be with us despite our screw-ups and failings and sin. And the Israelites had broken this covenant and disobeyed God. And they were living out the, some of the consequences of that severed relationship in exile. Isaiah, as a prophet, had been called to speak the truth to Israel in light of that disobedience, and it was not always good news. But a severed relationship doesn't matter if the parties don't care about each other. And Isaiah 43 is a reminder of just how much God cares and loves and desires to be with us no matter what.
God's not some amorphous being out there. God is the one who is right here next to us, with us on the road. I love the story of Ignacy Paderewski, a a Polish concert pianist. And the story goes that a mother brought her young son who had just started taking piano lessons to one of Paderewski's concerts. And the mother had stopped in the aisle to talk to one of her friends, and the boy had slipped away. And she didn't notice until the lights dropped in the room, and the lights came on on stage, and there was her son sitting at the piano. And he looked up and realized he was all alone and played the only thing he knew how to play. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. His mother is sitting there gasping in horror. And Paderewski walked out onto the stage and quickly moved to the piano and whispered to the boy, don't stop, keep playing. And Paderewski reached out with his left hand and added a bass line. And then he reached out with his right hand and encircled the boy and added an obligato at the top. And the old master and the young artist had the crowd mesmerized by their unlikely improvisation because the boy was no longer alone. That's what God is doing here, showing up to be with, to accompany, to promise again and again to wrap God's arms around God's people and help them remember the love song that bound them together from the very beginning. And with that embrace, Israel and we remember that we are not alone. Today's text was chosen as part of our summer scripture mixtape and was selected by Jill Klotz because of what it means to her family and to her son, James. James is with us this morning, and with his permission and at the risk of making him blush, James has lived this text. He and his family used to go to another church, another Presbyterian church, full of people that they knew and loved. And when James came out in college and shared that news with their pastor, it was clear that he was no longer welcome in that community in the same way. And so he and his family chose to leave this community that they loved, and they entered a time of displacement, much like Israel. But the promise of God, do not fear, for I am with you, never stopped being true. And then a remarkable thing happened. That with took on God's hands and feet and faces in a new church. And like the pianist that wrapped their arms around the novice, faithful disciples accompanied James and his family along the way. Folks like our pastor emerita, Joanna Adams, and a whole lot of people in this very room that reminded him again and again that he was called by name, by the God of love. Without God's with, and without those who accompanied and embodied God's with, James might have felt really alone. And maybe there were some times when he did. 
But instead, Isaiah's words rang true. God was with him through the storms and the waters and the fire. And when the ordination standards finally changed in the PCUSA, James responded to that call that was placed on his life by name. And after years of painstaking work, we are celebrating that as of two weeks ago, he is the Reverend Dr. James Klotz, having completed his PhD in Old Testament on a passage from this very prophet. Do not fear, for I am with you, says the Lord. That is really good news. And it is even better news when it takes on the hands and feet to walk alongside each of us on the road. Of course, we have the greatest example of that in God's Son. Jesus literally embodies the preposition with in his life. We call him Emmanuel, God with us. And he showed us the way with ministries of accompaniment, of being with, of walking alongside those who were ostracized and marginalized and outcast and untouchable. And sometimes all it took was Jesus' presence to transform someone's heart. And so it is interesting and surely no accident that the resurrected Christ in his final charge in the great commission that we heard Beth read this morning ends with these final words, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. The God who has been with us from the beginning, who walked among us as Emmanuel, will be with us to the end. But that promise is tied to an invitation in the Great Commission, a call, in fact, a responsibility for all of us. You heard it in Matthew's text. Christ calls us to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that Jesus has taught. So in this morning's baptism, we did exactly that for many. Baptizing her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it's a joyful and good moment. But it is not just a moment, because the harder, more joyful, more meaningful work begins for all of us now. Our call is to be with Minnie. To be with her when she cries in the nursery. To be with her the first year she comes to vacation Bible school and needs a buddy. To be with her when she's a confirmand and asks a whole lot of questions and has a whole lot of doubts so that we don't leave Emma hanging. To be with her when she is finally ready to go out into the world and make her own way. And here's the thing. We don't know who Minnie will grow up to be. We don't know what successes or missteps she may take along the way, but we know that today we reminded her that when she passed through those waters, those baptismal waters, God was with her. And we will continue to tell her that good news until she makes it her own. And the promise of the gospel is complete. We love because God first loved us. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>